how many of you had an opportunity to rethink your happiness these last couple months? Anyone happy? Okay, there's a few of you. It might not be rainy and cold, but uh, we live in the Pacific Northwest. We can be happy. The, the whole message has been really good. I, I want to thank uh, Pastor Rob for walking us through these Beatitudes and, and challenging us to grow, challenging us to think about life a little bit different. Pastor Rob's uh, away. Uh, he was uh, celebrating his uh, son Quinn's uh, graduation from captain school, and then he's in Hawaii yeah, we feel really bad for him. But he's at a wedding there. Uh, um, he's uh, taking a couple weeks off. So I'm, I'm going to continue the series. We're not going to jump into the Beatitudes again. But we're going to jump into a, a kind of a mini-series within a series. Um, through these 60 days of spiritual growth, which is what we're calling this. And talking about a few habits. Habits to help you and I grow in our word. And to grow to be more like Jesus. I believe we're in a time, and I don't think anybody would argue with me, that the church and, and we believers need to dig into our word, study, and memorize this more than ever. Amen? Because we're getting flooded with a ton of partial truths. We're getting flooded with a ton of uh, uh, different directions we could go. And if we are not grounded in this, we're in trouble. And that's what the 60 days of spiritual growth is doing. In fact, I would go so far as to say, uh, we're, we're even extending that. And you've heard Pastor Rob talk about it, but you'll hear more in the coming weeks. Our heart and our goal for 2022 is for you and I to dig in deeper than ever. We need to grow. And, and we're going to do this in many ways. We are launching another 9 a.m. service. We're calling our unplugged service in the activity center. January 9th at 9 a.m. Maybe this is for you. Um, it's going to be an acoustic worship. You're going to hear live message, the same thing you'll hear in here at 10 a.m. Um, in our activity center. We challenge you to think and pray about that. If you want to get involved, help us to usher and greet and just make that your service. Let us know so we can uh, use you to serve. Um, but uh, uh, we also want to, in 2022, to challenge you to grow. So also during this 9 a.m. time, we are not, not only going to uh, keep going on our 9 a.m. discipleship classes, we're going to double up on that. Because I believe with all of my heart, we need to grow. We're going to offer more adult classes. We're going to offer more Bible studies. And we are going to continue our kids and youth um, discipleship 9 a.m. hour. Because I believe we need to raise a generation who does the same thing. Dig into the word of God, memorize it, and study it. 9 a.m. in January, uh, starting all through 2022, is going to be really, really important. And I want to challenge you. Maybe you, God has put on your heart that you want to teach Maybe you want to teach uh, these 9 a.m. classes, kind of like a Sunday school. I will tell you that your efforts are not ignored and forgotten. I grew up in a church that believed in Sunday school. <laughs> and I can remember Miss Laura every single week showing up and teaching us the word of God. And I would say she's one of the reasons I'm sitting here today. Because somebody took the time, sacrificed her time to pour into me as a kid. And I was not the greatest kid. In fact, I remember sneaking out of Sunday school while she was teaching. She probably wanted to wring my neck, but she's with Jesus now. But I would say to her, thank you for seeing something in me that I didn't see and pouring into me. Maybe that's you. I want you to pray about it. Talk to me. We'd love to see you teach. But it's all part of growing. And we want to challenge you to plug in to grow. And, and my message, I, I, I preached a couple weeks ago. I'm preaching this week and next on some spiritual keystone habits, some habits that we need to put into our lives that will help us grow every single day. 
We defined it a few weeks ago, but a habit is this. It's a routine or practice performed regularly, an automatic response to a situation. It's the things you do without thinking. Now, I am a a person of habit, and and I am a person of routine. I I like my routine, and I really don't like people to throw off my routine. (laughs) It makes me angry. But I need to inspect my daily routine and say, God, is this the routine that I need? What are my automatic responses to situations, and how do I need to change this? Because here's the truth. The majority of what you do every single day is not a result of a singular decision, but a result of habit. How are you responding to things? And I want to give you an opportunity today to again inspect that. And we're calling these spiritual keystone habits. It's really stealing a a phrase from the book, The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. And And he talks about these keystone habits. They're a particular habit that automatically leads to other positive behaviors. I make one good decision, have one habit at the beginning of my day, and it affects the rest of my day. If I begin to exercise regularly, it makes me want to eat right. It makes me want to make better choices. These are keystone habits. And it is so true spiritually for you and I. Keystone habits that we put in our lives that will affect the rest of our day. And I'm not talking choices or goals. I'm talking habits. Things you do without thinking. Automatic responses. We talked a couple weeks ago about probably the, the pinnacle of these keystone habits in the two, daily devotions and prayer. And I would say and argue with any person in this room, those are two of the most important keystone habits you can make in your life. Daily time with Jesus in the Word of God and prayer. If those are not a daily habit in your life, make it so. And I say that unashamedly. Make it so. Work on it. Make it your time. Right now in, De- in, in November and December, before we get to 2022 and you make New Year's resolutions, make the choice now so that 20 January is all, even all that better. Make these your, your spiritual keystone habits because they will affect everything that you do. I want to talk about a, another keystone habit today. Uh, maybe one that's not as, as fun to talk about. Maybe one that... Uh, Uh, We don't love as much, but it's the keystone habit of repentance. I know, you got out of bed for this. (laughs) Aren't you excited to be here? We're talking about sin. Nobody cheered. Wait, what's wrong with that? Yeah, thank you, thank you. Let's be honest. Like, we don't, I'll be honest as a pastor. Man, it's not the most uplifting stuff, but sin is real. And sin destroys And the keystone habit of repentance is so important. Next week, we're going to talk about the habits of rest and celebration. You'll want to come for that one. But I got you trapped here, and we're talking about repentance and sin now. Um, it's, it's, It's so important to talk about this. How many of you like to say these words? Ready? I was wrong. Anyone like saying that? Just say it with me right now. I was wrong. Didn't that feel good? No, it's like a paper cut with lemon juice on it. No, I don't like saying that. Do you ever think about why we as humans, we're all there, we hate that idea of I was wrong or having to say these words, I'm sorry. Why do we hate that so much? I started looking into it and, and here's really why. 
Because we like to think of ourselves as good, as smart, as, as funny, as kind, as generous. I like to think of myself as ruggedly handsome. And then we look in the mirror. <laughs> and we look at life. And we look at our actions and go, my actions don't always line up with what I, I want to think about myself. What I want, I don't always see. Psychologists call this cognitive dissonance, which essentially means what I, I, I believe doesn't line up with what I see. And our brains just have a hard time with that. That's why we don't like saying I'm wrong, because we like to think that we're right until we meet the truth. And we are forced to look at this, I was, I was wrong. And we have to have a change of thinking, a change of heart to uh, uh, smooth that cognitive dissonance. And that's kind of where repentance gets in. But let me start at the basics. The basics of repentance. And most of you probably heard these definitions. And this may be going back to the basics. But we need to remember, what does repentance even mean in the first place? It's really a two-part definition. And it is so much more than saying I'm sorry or saying I'm wrong. Repentance is so much richer than just I was wrong. Here's really what it means. We're going to define this. If you have a pen and paper, you can write this down, write it in your notes, just memorize it. Repentance means this. Number one, it's a confession of a change of heart regarding, ready? My sin. It's not a change of heart regarding everyone else's sin. It's a change of heart regarding my actions. It's personalizing. It's looking at myself and going, wow, the direction I was going, what I was saying, what I was doing, where I was, is wrong. It's a change of heart regarding my sin. This change of heart only comes about through the Holy Spirit. It's not us waking up one morning and going, you know, I think I'm going to try to be better. It's the Holy Spirit, and we're going to talk about this, revealing to us. Our actions don't line up with the word of God. And I have a change of heart regarding my sin. But it's not just there. There's a second part to this definition of repentance. The second part is this, a resolute turning. Everybody say turning. It's a resolute turning from my sin. It's not just feeling bad about how I was acting. But it's saying I'm not going to go that direction anymore. I am making a change. See, if repentance was just a, I'm sorry, I won't do it again, yet there's no change in action, it's not truly repentance. Repentance is saying, oh, Lord, help me. Does it mean we're perfect? No. But it means everything in my power, by the power and strength of the Holy Spirit and the, that God gives me, I'm going to turn 180 and go the other way. Everything that I can do. That's the power of repentance. We get it from Acts 2.38 and many other scriptures, by the way, but it's just one where Peter says, um, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. That's Acts 2.38. Repent of your sins and turn. It's a double. That's what repentance is. Confessing, changing my heart, and turning. What does repentance then do? Why is it important? Why are we calling it a keystone habit? Again, back to the basics. We need to set this up before we look at it deeper. Repentance does this. It changes our destiny. It changes our direction. Romans 6.23 says this, for the wages of sin is what? 
We have all sinned, Romans 3.23 says, and fallen short. And the wages of that sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Our direction before Jesus is towards sin and will always lead to death. When the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, brings that change of heart and change of direction, it is us receiving the free gift of forgiveness and eternal life. And that's why we in the church say things like this. My sins are under the blood of Jesus Christ. How many of you are thankful for that? Because the wages of your sin is death, but Jesus paid that price for you. Maybe you're in this room and it's the first time you've heard that. Maybe you've heard it a hundred times. Jesus died, paid your price so that you could have a free gift of eternal life. All you have to do is confess and believe and receive. Jesus, help me. Here's a, 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 a glimpse into the heart of God. God's desire is for every single human being to repent and turn to him. 2 Peter 3, 9 says this, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but God wants everyone to repent. God's heart is for you and I to understand and share the fact that Jesus died for us. And repentance is the receiving of that life. How many of you are thankful for that? That's what repentance is. That's what repentance does. It receiving the forgiveness. And Jesus looks at you and says, forgiven. I don't care what you've done, where you've been, what you've seen, what you've said. Forgiveness is for you when you receive. That's what repentance is, but what does it look like? What does this automatic response or this keystone habit of repentance look like? I want to look in Scripture. I'm going to flip to the Old Testament in 2 Samuel 11. If you have your Bible, you can flip there. We're going to walk through a story that if you've been around the church at any length of time, you know, you have memorized, and you may know better than me. But I want to talk about David and Bathsheba and Nathan. Because in this, we see mistakes but also David's heart of repentance and what the keystone habit of repentance will look like. This is all in 1 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. And I'm really setting it up in five different scenes, in five different stages of sin, of conviction and repentance, and the outcome of all of it. The first one, the first scene, act one, scene one, the start of the story is, is really, we're calling it the setup. And it says this in, in uh, 2 Samuel 11. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab the Israelite, and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. And, and, and I want to pause there because the setup usually looks something like this. David should have been at war. It was the time when he goes to war. But David's confidence was slipping, and it wasn't necessarily in God in this point. David's confidence was in his army and his general Joab. And said, you guys got this. You don't need me. So David stayed behind. 
And the Bible tells us that late one afternoon, he took a nap. Hey, listen, naps are holy. Come on, who's with me? Naps are of Jesus. He took a nap, but he should have been at war. I want to tell you this. And I learned this as a kid. Idle hands are the devil's playground. (laughs) Usually, these sins that we fall into, you can find the red flags at the start. When I should have been. When I let down my guard. When I stopped focusing on the power of Jesus, but my own strength. These are the red flags that say, be careful, because this is exactly what the enemy wants to do to destroy you, give you in those moments. He wants to set it up and then give you the temptation. So we see the setup. Next, we see the progression of sin. And I'm not going to read it all. I challenge you to read 2 Samuel 11 and 12. But, but the Bible tells us that David woke up from his nap and he, he was up on the roof and he sees Bathsheba. And, and what, what we see is a progression here. He sees He inquires, he wants, he desires, and then he takes. He he sees Bathsheba, he sends a a messenger to find out more information, and then he commits adultery. He commits a great sin with, she was married to to Uriah, and he commits this sin because he he saw, he wanted, he took. This is a progression of sin in all of our lives. We see, we want, we take. It starts with that look. Man, that looks good. Man, I want it. Man, I, this would make me happy. By the way, it never does. Long term. And then we take. It, it, it's no different. First John 2.16 says it this way. For all that is in the world, all the sins, all the, all the, the, the worldly things, the desires of the flesh... The desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. It's the same thing. Things we see, things we desire, things we take because I want, because I need, because I deserve it. This is the progression of sin. We see, we want, we take. We see, and this is exactly what happened to David. And and so he was set up in a place he shouldn't have been, in a time he shouldn't have been, and in comes the temptation. He saw, he wanted, and he took. I can just imagine David saying, I'm the king of one of the greatest nations on the planet. I should get whatever I want. Now, you and I may not be kings or queens, but we often act that way, don't we? I should get what I want. And the world tells you it. Whatever makes you happy, go get it. That's the progression of sin. And this progression of sin will always lead you down a slope that will take you further than you ever thought you could go. That that you'll do things that you thought you'd never do. I don't think David woke up that morning and said, I'm going to commit adultery today. (laughs) No. But he was in the wrong place, not doing what he was supposed to do. Having confidence in himself, he saw, he wanted, he took. So we see the setup, we see the progression, and then we see the cover-up. Because we all know how, look at yourself in the mirror, we all know how we act. When we sin, when we do something wrong, I'm going to try in all my power to cover this thing up. I don't want anyone to know that I made a mistake. We've all been there. 
And in David's case, and you know how this goes, what he, what he hears later is Bathsheba became pregnant. And he goes, oh, no, I better cover this sucker up. So he writes to Joab and says, Joab, send Uriah home. Maybe I can cover it up this way. Send Uriah home and, and, and I'll shower him with gifts and, and then go see your wife and we'll get this all covered up. But Uriah, with too much integrity, says, I will not go home. And he sleeps on the steps of the palace. You can just imagine David going, oh, no, this guy has integrity. He tries everything in his power and finally when he finds out that Uriah won't go do this, he sends him back with a letter and says, Joab, Take Uriah, put him in the front lines, go right up against the city that you're fighting, right up against the, wall, the walls where their battle is the fiercest. And when it's really, really bad, pull everybody back but Uriah. So he dies. The cover-up of David's sin cost David, one of his greatest warriors in Uriah, a, a, a loyal, faithful servant. His sin now is impacting this bigger circle. Because David wasn't where he was supposed to be. Because David saw, he wanted, he took. And then he had to cover that up. Listen, here's the truth. Sin never says enough. Sin will never leave it at just a little. That's why I don't believe there's any such thing as a little white lie. Little white lies will always lead to another little white lie, which will lead to another little white lie, which will lead to another little white lie. And we constantly have to lie a little bit greater, a little bit more, in order to cover that up. Sin never says enough. And here's another truth. God will never leave sin unchecked. As much as we don't want to hear that. God will never leave sin unchecked. How do I know this? Numbers 32, 23. One that I, my Sunday school teachers have made me memorize. My parents made me memorize. Be sure your sins will find you out. As a kid, this one haunted me. I'm going to be honest. I'm like, ah, they'll see I took the cookie. But it's true. It's true. God never leaves sin unchecked. It's the Holy Spirit's, one of the Holy Spirit's role is to bring the conviction in our lives. Are you listening to the Holy Spirit? Or have you pushed that voice out? That conviction comes in and that's really scene four, the conviction. The Bible tells us in, in, in uh, 2 Samuel 12, for David, this looked like the prophet Nathan. And after David committed adultery, and then he kills Uriah. Nathan comes up. Hey, David. And you just imagine David going, oh, Nathan, the prophet, great, let's talk. And Nathan says, I have a story for you. It's story time with Unky Nathan. <laughs> let's have a little story. And Nathan pr proceeds to tell David this story. Once upon a time, there were two men. One was extremely wealthy, and he had sheep and, and, and cattle by, by the hordes. He had plenty. And then there was a poor man, and he had one sheep. But this sheep just wasn't out in the barn. No, this sheep got to come in the house. It sat on his lap. It ate off his plate, the Bible tells us. He loved it. He named it. it he raised it like his own child. And the rich man has a, has a guest over, and it's customary to throw a party. And, and, they, and, and the rich man said, hey, let's have lamb chops for lunch. But instead of killing his own cattle and sheep, 
he goes to the man with one and takes it and kills that and serves it to his guest. Nathan's telling David this story, and David gets furious. David just is angry. You can just see him. I'm the, ooh, Nathan, you tell me who this guy is, and this person will pay with his life. It's a little foreshadowing into what's happening here. And Nathan turned to him and said, David, you are that man. You ever have a moment in your life where the shoe drops? It all comes crashing in because something you did. Where, where, where you, the stuff that you thought was hidden and that you were going to get away with comes out. You ever have one of those moments? None of us like that. These are the moments and they come to us all because we've all sinned, right? And we've all tried this cover up. And David's in this moment where Nathan looks at him and says, David, you're that guy. You could have had everything you wanted, but you took another man's wife. Why? Listen, in these moments of conviction, you and I only have four responses to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. There's only four options we have to that conviction when our sins come out. These four are this. Number one, we can try as we might to hide it. We can try to bury it, push it away. No, 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 no. I don't want anyone to see. Let's keep it in the closet. Here's the danger with this one. Sin thrives in secret. In fact, sin, sin, sin doesn't just uh, stay alive. It grows. You cannot hide sin. And in this closet, in the dark, in secret, it becomes greater. There is a great danger to this response to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You cannot hide sin. Be sure your sins will find you out. We try to hide it. Secondly, our second option is we can, we can deny it. Was it me? I didn't do it. My, that evil twin of mine, man, that guy's evil. I remember a time, and most of you parents have had this, where my, our daughter Ellie came into the room and her hair was just like butchered. Right? And you look at her and go, why did you cut your hair? I wasn't, I didn't cut my hair. I don't know what you're talking about. Right? That's their response as if I didn't have eyes. Like, your hair is butchered. Duh. And, and, and we try to hide it. Like, no, 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 if I comb it. In fact, she, she reminded me this week that she took that, that batch of hair and put it in the clean laundry where no one will find it. Yeah, right. But this is what we try to do with God. We try to deny it. Here's the problem. The more you deny the sin in your life, the more numb you will become to the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's ah, a dangerous place to be. But the Holy Spirit will start to speak, and it just bounces off. Oh, Lord, may we never be there. If we can try to hide it, we can try to deny it. Here's another dangerous one. We can try to rationalize our actions. We can try to rationalize why it was okay in this circumstance. That little white lie, it was okay in this circumstance. It was actually for the good. <laughs> That thing I did was okay in that circumstance. Here's the problem. When we begin to rationalize sin is when we begin to cross over into the idea of situational ethics. And the problem with situational ethics is at its core, there's a denial of absolute truth. Where we're saying truth is only true in this occasion or this occasion but for you, it may be different. This is, this is so, so dangerous. Because listen, the Bible, 
being 100% true, being the word of God, cannot contain a system of ethics that would deny the nature of itself or of God. We cannot get to the place where we begin to rationalize our actions. It either does or doesn't. It's black and white. It's either sin or not. When we start to play the game, if it's okay, it's okay for you, you, you do, that's why I don't like this term, you do you. Because what it's saying is in your case, it's okay. We have to do the scripture. When we begin to rationalize, it was when we begin to say there is no absolute truth. This is a very dangerous place to be. So we can hide it, we can deny it, we can rationalize it, or number four, we can own it. This is where the habit comes in. We can own it. In this moment where Nathan is telling David this story and then the finger turns and goes, David, that man was you. I want you to look at David's response. In verse 12, 12, it says, Nathan says, David, what you did in secret, I will make happen to you in open sight of all Israel. This punishment, this, this, this terrible thing that's coming. And David said this, verse 13, David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Now, David did try to hide it. But he gets to this place where he realizes, no, I did it. It's out. Oh, Lord, soften my heart that I can begin to own it when the Holy Spirit comes. And David didn't just say this to get out of a punishment. He didn't just say this because, oh, Nathan, he's reading my mail, I better say it. David's heart was broken in that moment for his sin. How do I know this? Flip to, to Psalm 51. Pastor Rob mentioned it a couple weeks ago, but I want to read you 12 verses here, and I want you to hear David's words. This is what he wrote in response to being convicted of the Holy Spirit. Not caught because of his actions, but convicted because of his actions. There's a big difference. David writes this, Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God. Because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stains of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even then. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back the joy again. You've broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, a pure heart, O oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Don't banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. It goes on, but you hear his heart. David was completely broken in that moment for his sin. Oh Lord, what have I done? Remember the definition of repentance? Confessing and turning. We see that exact thing here. David owns it. He says, he says these words, I recognize my rebellion. He doesn't just say, yeah, I was wrong. He says, I recognize I was in utter and complete rebellion. And he says, against you have I sinned. Now, this is an interesting one. 
Because we look at this and go, uh, yeah, he sinned against Uriah too. He's dead. What David is not saying is, I didn't hurt anybody because he knows he did. What he's saying is at the core of his heart, he understands what sin is. Sin is first and foremost a sin against God, breaking God's word. Now, the problem with sin is it never stays there. It always affects and impacts those around us. But if we don't understand our sin breaks the law and rule of God, we don't really understand what repentance is. And that's why David said, against you, I have sinned. Oh, God, help me. You see this change of heart regarding his sin. And then you see a turning. He says these words, create in me a clean heart, oh, God. These words literally mean, God, take this brokenness out of me and create a new thing in me. This word create is the same one that we read in Genesis when it says God created the heavens and the earth. God spoke and new came into being. He's saying, God, I need new heart. I need new soul because what I've been is broken. And this is his turning saying, God, make me new that I will go forward in your truth from this point forward. We see a conviction leading to a change of heart, leading to a change of direction. That is a spiritual keystone habit of repentance. And that's where you and I need to live. Oh God, would you shine your light on every area of my life? That even what I don't like to look at and what I've been hiding for years, I would let you deal with it. It's so important that we live there, that we own it. But I don't want to leave you there. Because there's a fifth scene here. There's a response Nathan has from God to David. David's, David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied this. Hear these words. Yes, but the Lord has forgiven me. <sighs> what? David committed adultery and he murdered. And in that moment in his brokenness, God looks at David through Nathan and says these words. Yes, but God has forgiven you. Now David paid a great price for this. Because the forgiveness of sin doesn't always wipe out all the consequences of sin. When that happens, it's mercy. And thank God for that, amen? But there are times that we do pay for the consequences of our sin. But, but, but that conviction brings confession. And we hear God say in that moment, yes, but I have forgiven you. That, people, look at me, that is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think some of us have been serving God for so long, we forgot that this is good news. And we're not stuck in our sin. We're not stuck with all the stuff and places we've been in the past. We have forgiveness because of the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross. That's good news. Oh, Lord God, thank you. I don't deserve where I am. But you've forgiven me. Oh, God, thank you for forgiveness. Thank you. For keeping my heart soft. This confession that David has. is powerful. Let's get back to that question we asked earlier. Why don't we like saying these words. I was wrong or I'm sorry. 
asking for forgiveness because confessing gives the other person the ability to alleviate my shame through forgiveness or increase my shame through holding a grudge. And we treat God often how we treat others. I don't want to confess to them because they have the ability and probably will hold a grudge and make me feel even more shame and even more guilt everywhere I go. God does not act that way. God forgives. I've talked to so many people who struggle with repentance because they say these words, I don't know if God could ever forgive me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how far I've been, what I've seen, what I've said, who I've hurt. And I tell you this, and here's a spiritual truth I need you to get. God's ability to forgive is far greater than your ability to sin. That's The habit of repentance is because our God is so good, not because he's holding you under his thumb. And the Bible tells us this in Romans 2.24, or 2.4, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? It's God, God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's the fact that it is good news that causes us to lean in closer and saying, God, forgive me. That's good news. The habit of repentance isn't because we're afraid of an angry God. It's because we have a God who's so good and forgives. I don't know what you've come in with today. But I'm asking and praying that the Holy Spirit would convict, would deal with us. And that we would be quick to own it. Say, God, deal with Whatever that looks like. A keystone habit of repentance, of bowing and surrendering to our God. I'm going to pray in just a moment. But I, I, I want to ask this question is if anybody in this room, I'm not going to have you raise your hand or do anything, but if you've not yet heard this good news, I want you to know you don't have to suffer under guilt or shame anymore. Because God loves you and He can forgive. All you do is say, Jesus change of heart towards my sin and a resolute turning direction. Today can be a day of freedom for some of you in this room. For others of you, my prayer for you, and it's been this week, that God would restore to you the joy of your salvation, that he would remind you of where he's brought you. And you would say, Lord, thank you. Because that changes everything. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray, and the worship team is going to lead us in a song that's closing. And in this song, it's not, and we'll dismiss in just a moment. Our prayer team's going to come forward, and they want to pray with you, because sometimes you need somebody to stand alongside you in all this stuff. And maybe it's something else. Entirely. You just need somebody to pray with you. They're going to be here for that. But I'm going to pray right now. And if, if you need to say these prayers with me, that you need to receive the forgiveness and salvation of Jesus Christ, today is your day. If you just need to be reminded of the good news that you're forgiven, today will be your day. I'm going to pray. They're going to lead us into song, and then we'll dismiss in a moment. As they sing, prayer team, we're going to invite you forward. But right now, would you bow with me as we pray? Lord, help us. God, I pray for anybody in this room 
who's been suffering under a weight of guilt and shame. God, may they understand that that is not from you, but that's a lie from the enemy to keep them down and out. But God, your truth and your word is that if we turn our hearts to you, confess and believe, forgiveness is your free gift for us today in Jesus' name. God, I pray for anybody in this room who does not yet know you that that would be their prayer. Jesus, I confess and believe, and today would be a day of salvation. God, I pray that each of us would remember who we are in you, what we're called by you, sons, daughters, forgiven. I pray that today would be a day that we'd be reminded of that. Restore to us the joy of our salvation. And God, may we do everything we can to make it public, publicly known that Jesus is Lord and I am forgiven. My sins are under the blood. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship for a moment together.